0: Welcome to We Could All Use Some Therapy, the podcast hosted by two friends who also happen to be therapists. With over 30 years of combined experience, we'll discuss why people go to therapy, why they don't, and the systems they navigate. While our podcast is about therapy, it is in fact not your therapy. No information in this podcast should be considered a substitute for treatment. Please seek out a professional mental health provider for your own support.
1: Hello, welcome back. Uh, I am Isabel. I am a licensed clinical social worker in New York City.
0: Hey, everyone. This is Jill. I am a therapist in California, and thanks for tuning in.
1: So we did think that uh, we wanted to get a little bit more into how we met, our first work experience together, which was kind of both of our first work experiences as social workers. Uh, talk a little bit more about that and jump into. Uh what therapy is, I think we wanted to get like a basic understanding for all ourselves and all of our listeners um because we're not sure who will be listening, people in the field, people not in the fields, um people from different walks of life, so just getting a a shared understanding of really what we're talking about when we're talking about therapy. yep, so we met because we were both placed through a a community based organization into the same high school. To quote unquote, do counseling. Uh, we were just <laughs> kind of like,
0: ever dropped
1: in. Is that the word? Like a helicopter stopped over the building, dropped us, and left.
0: That's so what it was, felt
1: like. What were we, what you were given an office, which is pretty cool. I was just given an address and told to show up. <laughs> I we believe- weren't given a caseload. We weren't necessarily connected with school-based personnel. Well, that there was one person, but there wasn't structure. I don't know. Like what, it just seems like a, such a huge waste.
0: Yeah. We, um, we worked for an organization that received a grant to, um, place social workers in high schools right after nine eleven. So this was in 2003 and a lot of money was coming into new york city after the attack of 9/11 to increase the mental health of kids in new york city. And but as, you know, as it goes, sometimes money is well spent and sometimes it's a little bit uh unclear as to how we should spend money. And so we were hired, you know, again for these for these positions, but there wasn't a whole lot of oversight and we were just sort of dropped into schools. Where we were like, okay, so you're a crisis counselor, and here's your school, and go. And we, we had one point person who, um, da, da, da. was
1: <laughs> ellipse.
0: ellipses. Who was who was ellipses? Is it ellipses? Ellipses. Ellipse. Ellipse is a shape. Anyway, um, semicolon. Um, but. <laughs> <laughs> but we were we we were put into the school and um with with no knowledge it was my first job out of grad school like i had my internship but just really just dropped into these schools and said okay go help go help kids and i had about um 48 hours of seniority on isabel <laughs> and i had an office and she wandered into my office and said do you work for this agency i work for this agency what are we supposed to do? And I had like a list of kids that like a school counselor had given me saying like, oh, talk to these kids. And the school was a little bit intimidating and we weren't sure what to do. And every time we would ask someone what to do, they would just kind of refer us to somebody else. So anyway, Isabel and I just kind of wandered around the school for like seven months and just kind of figured it out and somehow built up a caseload and, and somehow, you know, Engaged with kids, but it was it was weird. <laughs> it
1: was a yeah, weird and I don't know job. that I can say that I did great work that year. You have yeah. such a better memory than I do. But Thank that's you. the other thing, right? It's like it's grant grant funded to target a specific need. So I remember like were we supposed to go around and seek out students in that the building was like five floors. It was like <laughs> a thousand kids. It was a lot of kids. Were we supposed to find the kids who were like triggered by 9 and treat them? But like, could we see kids who had like, didn't care about 9-11? Like what? And that's they, the tricky thing with grant funding is like.
0: Yeah. The idea was, is that there was an overall heightened level of anxiety and stress due to nine eleven that basically. That could justify any kind of intervention that we did, right? I mean, it's kind—it's of, not unlike COVID, right? Like, it might not be directly because of COVID, but there is a general heightened amount of stress that somehow we can connect to COVID. So it was—I think it was that—that that, it was a very similar concept with the um, with the grant money from nine eleven, and I, I remember at one point we were told. Why don't you just go down to the cafeteria when kids are having lunch and go from table to table, introducing yourself, saying, Hi, I'm Jill. I'm a social worker. Would you like some mental health assistance? Hi, I'm Isabel. Do you want to talk about your feelings? Which every teenager just would love nothing more than to have attention brought to themselves. Right. Like that was our intervention.
1: Right, who wants to go down to lunch and hang out with your friends when you can follow some stranger to an office that <laughs> she shares with another stranger? Who doesn't want to do that? But I remember being put, oh, I remember being put in front of a class to do some kind of a workshop. <gasps> I didn't have a workshop to do. It did not go well.
0: It just but it, I mean, up. it's
1: just to say, it's just to say like the well-meaningness is there Mm -hmm. Right? Like people want to do something. It's just, I guess people don't know what to do. And this is going to take me down a whole nother path. And luckily, I don't have an employer right now. So I can't get fired. But I feel strongly that (laughs) a lot of times the people who make the decisions aren't necessarily the ones who know how best to implement this kind of work. And so people placed a bunch of social workers in a school, and that could have been an incredible experience for the kids and for us and for the school staff. And it wasn't because we were airdropped.
0: Yeah. And I, I worked for another organization that did things that were very similar and this, the system was much um, more effective because there was training, there was um, directions other than just the address. There was, uh, there was actual um, systems in place. And that was different from like this quick, like, okay, we don't actually have a system in place, but just go. And um, that did not, that did not work for us. And then, um, and that was why we were only there for one year, but you can't say that we didn't learn things. (laughs) (laughs) You cannot say that it wasn't a memorable experience. I mean, I feel that those jobs that were so incredibly dysfunctional and unorganized and weird and all of those things tend to definitely be some of the most memorable where you also can make like some of the best friends too because you're like oh my god we went through that together that was crazy so
1: absolutely
0: you can't absolutely. say that it was it was
1: all for nothing isabel you just can't absolutely not no it was a huge <laughs> learning experience <laughs> I think, uh, speaking of learning experiences, maybe it makes sense to talk about what our ideas of therapy are. Yes. Mine's definitely changed over time.
0: Oh yeah, for sure.
1: From job to job.
0: I mean, with that job that we were talking about, again, I was, and as you were brand new to (laughs) therapy, my first job out of grad school and- terrified especially teenagers can be particularly intimidating but just the idea that you know you have to go build relationships with kids and help them and these kids would come with these very real difficulties and struggles from you know family trauma to you know kids getting arrested and gang affiliation and all of these things you know violence and then just being told like okay here you go <laughs> have a good time so uh and you know you had mentioned before like i don't know if i actually made an impact or did anything and i think often therapists do feel like that like is this helping especially when you're new
1: mm-hmm. yeah i think what you said before about like building a relationship that really struck a chord with me cuz i I mean, we both started out working with kids and I, I think it would have yeah. been different if if I had started out doing private practice or if I had started out working with adults. But I think the idea of working with kids, you have to recognize that they have to want to sit in a room with you, right? This isn't, mm-hmm. they have to want to come in and sit down. So you really, while some people are being trained to be like a blank slate and give away nothing. And it's like, I'm just here to listen. And I, I think, working with kids is just completely different. Yeah. I
0: mean, I was just listening to a podcast this morning with some very smart people talking a lot about therapeutic interventions and all the different CBT, DBT, ROTC type, uh, you know, (laughs) acronyms. And I'm telling you, when I first started, I was like, uh what does that mean I mean sometimes I still do that but um but I think that you know you do kind of just learn by doing especially working with young kids because well working with any age of you know college and under because the relationship is such an important part and it just some of that all of the psychobabble matters less I think But I definitely had a lot of insecurities walking into certain things. Like, I don't really even know what that means. Can I consult my uh, grad school notes? Because (laughs) I've forgotten what all these acronyms mean.
1: Psychobabble. I love psychobabble. That's such a good word. I think I (laughs) I had told you that I had a conversation a couple weeks ago. I never got to tell you what it was about. It was with... um, Uh, It was for a a potential position at a clinic where they have some kind of psychoanalytic theory that they follow. I'm not going to get into the details, but um, the man that joined the Zoom was, I I believe, maybe some level of director. And Mm -hmm. he was one of those, I'm going to call him Dr. Psychobabble. Um, (laughs) He really made me, I feel pretty confident as a clinician, just I'm, I'm good at my job. And he's, he was just like the quintessential, like little old white man who goes by Freudian theory. And did he have a beard? No, but his hair was wild. Um, (laughs) I think if I met him in any other context, it would be like, oh, but he really, I felt like he was grilling me and not in an interview appropriate type of way. Like he asked me what my approach is and I said, psychodynamic. And he said to me, do you know what psychodynamic means? And it wasn't, that in itself, I feel like obviously it wasn't with kindness, but it felt like he was asking me questions, knowing that I was going to get the answer wrong. So Mm. I explained what my, and I said my interpretation of psychodynamic, and I went on to talk about how I use it. And he corrected me, of course. He told me I was wrong and he gave me the correct definition, which who knows the correct definition of psychodynamic? Um, don't you love a good mansplainer? I really appreciated his explanation and his education um, in the moment. It was pretty uncomfortable. And I, I, I'm going to say it was like my own insecurities that came up and maybe I should have yeah. been able to uh, tolerate being told I was wrong. It just felt like he was trying to catch me to be like, I know stuff you don't know. So I'm going to purposely ask you those questions. Right, right. Um, so I uh, interrupted him and said, I don't think this is going to be a good fit. Um, thank you for your time. <laughs> nice. <laughs> That's awesome. But anyway, I think I, the last thing I'll say about this is then the going into private practice kicked all that stuff up for me again, that you were talking about from sure. the beginning of, you know, starting private practice, of like looking at other people's profiles to see what their approaches are and what modalities they use. And, you know, I'm sure you can relate coming from a school. We don't, have modalities or specialties like you're working with high school kids whatever they come in with that's what you're talking about yeah and you just need a really large toolkit Um, so that was really overwhelming and intimidating seeing everyone's profiles listing these are the 12 modalities I'm an expert in but right when it comes
0: to therapy there's so much jargon and there's so many terms that a lot of people just don't understand. And it can be really intimidating.
1: Mm-hmm. And,
0: you know, for me at the end of it, like, you know, I know what they mean now. And I know, I, I know what it is and, and how to sort of integrate it. But at the end of the day, it's like, we need to build a good relationship and you right. need to trust me. And right. I, need to, you know, we need to have mutual or you need to, you know, trust in me that uh, you can share with me and you need to not think that I'm annoying or a big jerk <laughs> or at least annoying most of the time, not annoying most of the time. And you need to be able to tolerate sitting in a room with me for an hour a week. Cause like basically right. what it is. And then maybe even enjoy it a little bit. <laughs> but I think that the end game of it is, you know, of course, like certain populations and certain needs that people have, there is indications of like more specific Mm -hmm. interventions for sure. But from the positions that I think that we've generally had people in general seeking therapy want to just have a good relationship with somebody Mm -hmm. um, with the appropriate boundaries. And, you know, I think that's one of the just really important things in looking for a therapist and in kind of understanding what therapy is, is, you know, you don't have to have a super clear, even idea of what you, uh, what your goals are, or, you know, exactly what you want to change. It's more like, maybe I can just find somebody who, like I said, I can sit in a room with for an hour
1: <laughs> and not feel terrible, <laughs> not leave very worship. low bar. <laughs> yeah. No, but I think, right. Like we started off talking better. What is therapy to us as therapists and what can be intimidating, but now you're talking about what is therapy to the person coming in. And I feel like that's so much more like Imagine myself reading through profiles and be like, do I need an AMDR therapist? Do I need a CBT therapist? Do I know what any of those even are? And then like, obviously I'm still early on in my private practice, but I think people kind of showing up who haven't been in therapy before with this kind of like just big question mark on their face. Like what, how does this, what do I do? Um, Mm -hmm. Yeah. Yeah. I also just wanted to say, I recognized before that I described that guy, Dr. Psychobabble as a little old white man. I will <laughs> say, I am white. I am a white woman. I <laughs> <even laughs> haven't clarified that if it's not clear. I just wanted to identify myself in that you way. You just wanted to identify yourself as. I just yes. want everyone to know. Are we but identified? it changes the story, right? It's like this yeah, old
0: white Dr. Ford guy. He sounds great. We should go out for drinks with him. <laughs> You think he'd have a drink with us?
1: No. (laughs) No, I don't. You think he'd be fun? I think we're not (laughs) in sight. So I think, yeah, I think it's interesting thinking about both sides of like what is therapy supposed to feel like? I don't have to be your friend, right? It doesn't have to feel like we're friends, but I think you have to, like you said, you have to trust me and you you have to feel like I have your best interest in mind. Uh, I haven't always felt that way with therapists. I think when we were
0: at our high school together, you having an art therapy background, I remember you telling me just this little intervention of like, you know, sit with your student and put a piece of paper between the two of you and like all kind of doodle on my end and you doodle on the other end and just like see what happens and have a conversation. And I remember using that tool, just pretty simple. And I remember I kept a bunch of them. And there was this one kid who basically wouldn't talk. Like he was just really standoffish. And then every now and then I'd get a little something from him and his paper was like me, you know, on one end, like making little, I don't know, letters or whatever, just like, you know, kind of random things. And then his end, there was one tiny pencil mark and it was so indicative of like what he was willing to share and like what he was willing to be vulnerable with, which was, not nothing, but very little. Mm
1: -hmm.
0: And then I had another student who was very open and her end was just filled with like hearts and flowers and, you know, little curly cues and all this stuff. And um, so that sort of thing, you know, can be really, just can be, can be really eye opening. and, you know, talked, talked her through uh, my very first, not my first panic attack, my first time talking someone through a panic attack. I was like, oh, what do I do? <laughs> uh, you should breathe. You should take deep breaths, which is actually what you should do.
1: Right.
0: <laughs> but I remember sitting here watching her like start to like I was like, oh no, there's no one else. There's no one else here. <laughs> Where's Isabel? So she's in the classroom
1: giving a workshop. On nothing. <laughs> On nothing. <laughs> but also uh, even just you, like I always think about our experience in that way, like what you learn in the like quote unquote classroom versus like what you figure out just being thrown in. So like, I also like the first panic attack I intervened in with a student, Mm -hmm. like I was like, okay, um, do you have your headphones? Yeah, all right, should we put on a song? What's your favorite? Should we try that? It's just Mm -hmm. like figuring stuff out
0: Mm -hmm.
1: versus like, oh, let me think what I learned in that class that day and when we read the chapter and start trying those things like a machine. Right. I shouldn't say like a machine. People want to do it that way. There is nothing wrong with it. I do it my way. There's nothing wrong with sure. it. We all figure it our own way. I
0: mean, you can be in this field for 40 years and be completely surprised by something that comes up. I mean, we've both been doing this a long time. And I mean, of course, you know, COVID presented a whole new set of like unique challenges. But I mean, stuff comes up. I was like, wow, I have not seen that before. <laughs> that is that is wild. <laughs> and I do not know what to do.
1: I just had a moment of being curious of, uh, yes, because we're talking about our experiences therapists. And then we talked a little bit about what it must feel like for other people. We've both been other people. I know I've had interesting experiences as the one on the receiving end, the therapist, therapist-y. Mm-hmm.
0: the therapist, the therapist, is I have a question. Is that a real word,
1: therapized? No, absolutely. Because
0: not. I've heard people use it so much,
1: but is it actually a real word? You're Googling it right now. It's not. You're going to find I, it. I am not. I'm absolutely doing not. It's- <laughs> There's no version of the
0: word therapy that has a Z in it. Is it one of those things, like the way how people misuse literally? Is it one of those things that like it's wrong, but people use it
1: so much that it becomes right? How do people misuse literally? What? What's the wrong way to use it? Give me an example. We are doing this side note. Go. Okay.
0: So people will say, like, I literally went to the store and
1: bought milk. Well, they're not using it wrong. They're just using it. Well, it's like, yes, you did. Like it's redundant, right? It's redundant. Or like
0: I was, it's more like they use it as a replacement for actually. So.
1: No, people yeah, use I mean, it. Li- people probably use it uh, um, for emphasis. Like I really emphasis you to understand. I went to the corner store.
0: Exactly. But it's like, it's supposed to be the opposite of figuratively, right? Like you literally did go to the store, but why do you need to, you don't use the word literally. It's supposed to be in opposition to figuratively.
1: Right. So if you didn't say literally, it's not like I would assume that you figuratively went to the store. Exactly. Yeah. I hear you. Why did we start talking about this again? There was a segue. I don't know. You don't know.
0: Comment down below. (laughs) Do you have a, do you have any thoughts on the word literally? Comment down below. Uh, This is, this is YouTube, right?
1: (laughs) Is that how YouTube works? You don't have YouTube.
0: You don't have YouTube. Everybody has YouTube. i don't subscribe to youtube You don't utilize
1: it <laughs> subscribe below
0: we started um, saying this because of the word therapize
1: right which it is, is a, a word. word no it's not it, it is did you because google says so yeah we uh we're talking well i was curious about our own experiences as the one receiving therapy the therapisty Yeah. I feel that if we're going to want other people to consider their experiences, we should be vulnerable and share ours. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. (laughs) So tell me about yours. Okay. Um, I had this one therapist I found uh, through insurance and I had three major things going on in my life at the time. And I, one of them was that my dad was dying. So So uh, I went to see her, we had our first session, I kind of ran through all the three major things going on. Uh, The other one was that I was pretty unhappy at my job. And then Mm -hmm. there was a third one. Uh, So we talked through it. It was like helpful. I liked her. So I came back the next week. And in between my first and second session, I had gotten a job offer from a new place. Mm
0: -hmm. So when
1: I got to the session, I let her know I hadn't even accepted it. I just got the offer. And uh, I, I told her about it. And she said, well, that's really great. So it seems like we probably don't need to continue meeting anymore. Hmm. And I think I was, caught. This, I think this, I imagine this is something people can relate to on some level, but like them as the authority or expert in the room, when they say something, it kind of catches you off guard because you're like, they must be right. But it also sounds really, really wild what you just said. So I remember just being really caught off guard and kind of agreeing. And then I left and my brain came back and I sent her, <laughs> I sent her an email. It was a pretty, it was a, it was a, a significant size email, um, just kind of detailing how it felt for me to have her say that and why I felt it was not the right approach. And her response was that, uh, it was kind of one of those, like, I'm sorry that you feel that way. Not oh, like, I'm sorry so not a real apology. Way. And then she generously offered to uh, have me return for another session to process those feelings. <laughs> she, Damn, I think was you it a free point. session? I'm sure it wasn't, but I never went.
0: Yeah, especially, I mean, going through with your dad, too. I mean, that was, you know, obviously a major piece of it. And she's like, oh, you got a job. Cool. You're <laughs> all good. Who We're needs all set. therapy? All said. Glad I helped. Check she fixed you. That's that's what therapists are supposed to do, right?
1: Fix you. I would definitely fix after that second session. (laughs) I was therapeutic sending that email. Yeah. Well, I do think it's
0: important to advocate for yourself because Mm -hmm. it is so easy to be intimidated. You know, again, like what we were kind of saying before that you feel like maybe, you know, less than you think you do, or you feel like other people must know better than right. you. And especially being in that position of vulnerability, when it comes to therapy, you know, you're sharing all of these very personal things with somebody and then they tell you, oh, okay. I think this is what you need. If you're getting the feeling that that's not what you need, or if you're questioning that it doesn't, it doesn't mean that there isn't room to discuss that, but it should be a discussion. I mean, you know, it should be a conversation like, Hey, I'm not really sure what you meant by that or, you know, I don't really feel like that's what I need, but explain to me why you think that that is because it can be a learning experience, but it definitely can be pretty moving when you're in that position of vulnerability. You're telling us part, you know, you, you knew this person for what two sessions and you talked about, you know, your dad being sick and having not liking your job and all that stuff. And then being told like, "Oh, okay, you're good now. I mean, that's I'm all done here. That's no good. Yeah. I but think it's that's good so that you've right. said something a therapist that I had when I lived in New York, I, I saw her for a variety of reasons. It wasn't anything super severe, but it was, you know, you know, processing just being a social worker, first of all. Mm -hmm. Um, and then, you know, having things with friends and family and relationships and things like that. She was just really, really helpful in going through all that stuff. And I remember, um, I had a really good, day at work I was trying to work through something previously you know that she helped me through I had a really great day I told her about it and then I said um so I don't need to come next week (laughs) and she's like "Mm, why is that and I was like well you know problem solved I can skip next week. You know, I'll, I'll keep that money. Right. Like I can just skip next week. Right. And she's like, well, tell me about why you want to do that. And I really couldn't come up with a reason other than like, I anticipated that I was going to feel okay. And so I didn't need to come. Um, or I think I went like once every two weeks or something. And so it, it is just funny how some people do view therapy as like a time by time, like, okay, I'm feeling, when I'm feeling bad, I'm going to go, Um, which is fine. You know, it's okay to approach that way, but that's not kind of the way that we were approaching it. I had a very long relationship with her. And so she called me out on my stuff, which is good, which is something that a good therapist should do
1: yeah, in a nice way, but not firing you because you got a job. right? (laughs) Job offer. Yeah, I think I do. I think that that's such an important aspect of the work. And I think that goes back to really needing to build that relationship in the beginning. Cause I, if I, as the therapist can't, challenge you a little bit, then, well, I guess then it's a different kind of therapy. It's not to say that that's not therapeutic, but I think ultimately it would be great to get to a point where the relationship and the person getting therapy can tolerate being pushed and challenged a little bit. Yeah. Um, obviously different when you're working with someone with trauma and some other things, but yeah. Yeah. I like to be pushed.
0: Yeah. Yeah. I don't like being pushed, but I know it's good for me. So I tolerate it, (laughs) but I don't like it. (laughs) I'm like, no, you're supposed to validate me and tell me I'm doing so great Mm. all the time.
1: Always. I think there's actually, there's times when I'm like, no, this isn't where I'm asking for your opinion. This is where I'm asking for like 100% validation. Right. Mm -hmm. Right. No holds bar validation. there's, There's, there's always a time for a little bit of well, can we think about it this way? Can I offer a different perspective?
0: It can be really hard for them to kind of recognize what they want. And so when you try to provide that framework, um there can be some like, no, 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 I am just here to be told that I'm great, which I like that too. Who doesn't like to be told that they're great and that they're trying and to having have you know be encouraged? Um, but that's not it's not what it's about sometimes.
1: Right. Well, I think it's the. Developing that sense of when it's when it's time for what. Speaking of developing a sense of when it's time for what, I'm feeling a sense that it might be time to wrap up this episode, this amazing conversation. How do you feel? I feel great about it. Thank you for listening to this episode of We Could All Use Some Therapy. We hope that you found some of the content relevant, and uh, we'd love to hear from you. So. If you have any thoughts or ideas you want to share with us, feel free to email us at WeCouldAllUseSomeTherapy at gmail.com, the longest email address in existence. We would love to hear from you and uh, use your questions and thoughts for future episodes. Hope to see you again soon. Bye.